Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. You may be seated. Y'all responded a lot better than I thought you would after 14 verses. But I think it's important that we recognize what is happening uh, throughout all of time and what this represents. Well, good morning, church. I am not Pastor Kendall. Thank you. (laughs) Um, As you can tell, and while the camera guys are fixing the height over there, um, I just wanted to tell you, Pastor Kendall says hello He said, please tell the church that I miss them, that I wish I was there with them. Um, Our pastor has the privilege today to share with NAC Bible. It is their 30th anniversary, and uh, what a privilege that he gets to share with the saints there. So uh, be sure to be uh, praying for him as uh, he's probably already (laughs) done over there. We're not sure, Um, but it is such a blessing. Um, So today, it's my turn. Here we go. (laughs) Um, Turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Matthew. Chapter 28, and we're going to be starting on verse 16. Now, if you've been following along with the calendar, what we've been doing um, here in Christianity, uh, and the order of events in Scripture, you might have noticed that we have been going through the last days of Jesus Christ on earth. Uh, We looked on Palm Sunday at the triumphal entry um, and and how the people responded to God, to Jesus as he entered um, in, in the triumphal entry. We, Good Friday service. We focused on the cross, and we saw what that meant, um, what was that like for us, what does that mean, that uh, the atonement of Jesus and his blood paying for our sins. 
Um, and last Sunday, we looked at the resurrection. Uh, and Pastor Kendall, he taught on what it means that we have been crucified with Christ. Um, that it is no longer our old self that lives, but Christ in us. We are a new creation. And I, mean, I don't think I have to explain that to you. We saw it this morning as we witnessed baptism. Um, we, we see these, um, these people declare Christ as their Lord. We declare Christ as our Lord. Have you ever wondered why we use that language of Lord? Why is it that we use that language? It may seem kind of obvious, but Christ is our Savior King. And so when we give our whole lives, it's part of our vision, so I'm, I'm putting it in there. Um, make sure you tell Pastor Kendall about that. We are given the whole of our lives to Christ, and that's why we call him Lord. Um, so how wonderful that we're seeing God at work, that we're seeing these baptisms and people giving their life completely, surrender completely to Christ. We understand this. We sing about it today. If you were paying attention and, yes, you were singing, we're singing the gospel. Um, and we sing often about the sacrifice that Jesus paid in the cross for the sin of the world. For your sin, for my sin. But without the resurrection, we would have no, no hope. The work of Christ would be incomplete. Without the resurrection, there would, the, the, uh, Jesus claiming himself as a Messiah would have been a lie. Many have come and gone, but only Christ left the tomb empty. And it's still empty. <laughs> He's not there. And Christ was the only one worthy to open the scroll, as we read in Revelation 5. So I, I imagine, uh, I tried to at least imagine the thoughts that, that ran through the minds of the disciples. Um, they were probably confused, uh, some finding hope, um, and, and some just with disbelief as they hear accounts of Christ's resurrection, as they hear from the women, as they come and tell them that, that Jesus said, you need to go and, and uh, meet with him in Galilee. So I wonder what that was like, what it was like for them to be with no hope, and then perhaps this was the Christ. Perhaps this is the Messiah. So I want to look at Matthew 28, verse 16, um, and let's see what happens here. It says, verse 16, now the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. At the end of the age. Um, so this morning, what I want to do is analyze these words that uh, Christ gives to his disciples, and what we call, and I'm sure your Bible says this, the Great Commission. Um, if you are anywhere in the SBC world, this week we call the Great Commission Week. We talk about going to the nations, going on missions, and sharing the gospel. But every Christian is given this task, and every Christian should be familiar with this ta text, as it is the anchor of missions uh, to all nations in the spirit of the gospel. And it is what began the spread of the gospel in the first century through the disciples of Christ. And I can't help but continue to wonder what the disciples were feeling as they wait to hear what Jesus says. They come up to this mountain. Um, I mean, they, they've spent three years of their lives with him. They, uh, he taught them. He spent time with them. He shared a lot of his, his wisdom and, and what the Father was revealing through him. 
And now here they come. They thought they lost all hope. But now here he is. What does he have to say to us? And Jesus shares with them this statement that we just read. Um, now what I've done is I've uh, tried to analyze it in three parts. What I call first the declaration, or I'm calling it the king's crowning. Uh, the command, which I've called the king's decree. And the assurance or the promise, which I'm calling the king's seal. So let's dive in. He begins, Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Not just some authority. Not just everything the light touches. And some of you uh, Lion King fans, I'm hoping you got that. If not, I'm worried about you. But everything, everything has been given to Christ. Uh, even Daniel foresaw this in, in a vision of the Son of Man. He said in Daniel 7, uh, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Daniel's vision, it is now fulfilled. But why is it important that the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is this statement, this declaration of his authority? Well, quite simply, because his authority is the basis for everything else that comes after. His authority is the basis for everything that we do. And he's not only Lord of us individually, but everything that exists. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is Lord regardless of our thoughts on that. Amen. Amen. Not only does he save us personally, but he is Lord and Savior over you and me and also Savior over all. Let me show you. I hope you brought your Bibles. We're about to do some quick moving. So Matthew, I want you to go to uh, chapter 8, verse 26. Let's see who gets there first. Probably you. Matthew 8, 26. And don't cheat by looking at the screen. 8, 26 tells us that Jesus has authority over nature. It says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men, the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? He has authority over the seas and of, uh, over demons. Look at um, there, the next uh, verse 20, uh, 28. Of the same chapter. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the uh, Gadarenes, two demon possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass away uh, that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And then it says, Now a herd of many pigs was uh, feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. And so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Even the demons obey. 
There in chapter 4, just go a couple of chapters back. Chapter 4, verse 23. says, And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he has authority over disease, authority over demons. He has authority over sin and death, as we, we proclaim. We see that... Uh, uh, Christ died for our sins, and when he resurrected, he defeats sin and death. Sin and death, there's my accent. And he has authority over every life. So he declares his authority and then says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He says, because all authority has been given to me, now you need to obey me and, and hear your king. And, and if we're honest, that part go is uh, something that makes us a little uncomfortable, right? Uh, this is where we lose some folks, um, some uh, out of fear or complacency. Um, but we are called to an active endeavor. Uh, we are not to just place our faith in Christ and then sit idly until the Lord returns. Um, we are being sent by our King and make disciples of all nations. Uh, not just your family. And, and now hear me. Family discipleship is very important, okay? Um, I had a, a sweet saint, sweet lady one time come to me and she said, Brother Caleb, I am so excited. My niece, she has received Christ. She has played her faith in Christ. Uh, we're so excited and, and we prayed and we, we rejoiced over that. Of course, we're going to rejoice over that. But then she said this. She goes, now we're done. Now I'm done. I don't have to worry anymore. And I thought, no, 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 no. You're still to work. You got to make disciples to, to share the gospel at work, at school, on, on the sports team that your kids are at. Any, any area that you go to, you ought to represent Christ. You ought to be willing to go wherever he sends you. And not just make converts, but make disciples. This call is not just for missionaries. It is for every believer in Christ. And um, if you pay attention to our mission statement, we say this every week. We want to help you discover Jesus right where you are and wherever he sends you. And we absolutely believe this. Believe that he said go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You've seen this today. And he also says teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So for these people that we've been seeing getting baptized, they're not done. We, ought, we are to disciple them. We are to help him understand all the commands to Jesus, uh, all the things that he has commanded. And us, Christians, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you ought to be always being a disciple and learning the things that Jesus has commanded you. So here's a general outline. We are to go. It's an active endeavor. Make disciples of all peoples, baptize them, and teach them all that Jesus has commanded. Easy, right? Yeah, some of you are not laughing or anything. It's hard. It's hard. Are we supposed to do this on our own? Not at all. Because Jesus gives us his seal, his king's seal. So Christian, find comfort. He who sends you is not sending you alone. He makes you this promise. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has all the authority. He tells us in this authority, go and make disciples. But you are not going alone. I am with you until the end. 
He doesn't say, I will be with you in the future when you get to heaven. I'll, I'll see you there. Good luck. He doesn't say, I'll come back and check on your progress and uh, give you a report on how you're doing. Or let's set up a six-week meeting in which I'll come and check to see how you're doing with this thing that I asked you to do. He says, I am with you in the present and in every moment. And for those who have believed in Jesus and, and placed their, their faith in his work on the cross, you have been given the king's seal. What is the king's seal? The Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? That's a different sermon. Um, but he is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and, we, and he will be with you. And then on verse uh, 26, he says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we have the king's seal. Now, you might think, because we're on this side of Scripture, we're on this side of the New Testament, you're thinking, well, yeah, we know that. And I think sometimes we miss the, the, the point of this. This is a, this is a very crucial thing that um, Israel, as it was becoming a nation and God was teaching them, they didn't fully understand. They experienced the presence of God not in the way that we do. See, it was only in certain places and it was only through certain ways that they could uh, experience that. But for us, we are the new temple. For us, the presence of God dwells in us. Do you hear that? The presence of God dwells in you. He is in you. He guides you. This is what Jesus spoke of to the Samaritan woman. He says on John 4 verse 20, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, she's saying to Jesus, But you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you see, before the presence of God would only dwell in certain places, uh, it would have a curtain in between them and the people. Uh, and through time, God was teaching his people how to interact with him, uh, the sacrifices that were needed and all of that stuff. But now we see that fulfillment. And I, I just, do we understand what that means that God is with us? That the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sky and the sea and everything in them would come and dwell in you and me. Doesn't that just change everything? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For those who are saying, where is the verse in that? There it is. And let me tell you, we don't deserve this. We don't. We are not worthy, but it's Christ's sacrifice that makes us worthy. Again, still in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 18 says, 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So when you are no, so you you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place. For God by the Spirit. Now, kids, you have a, a worship bag, kids' bag. I don't know what it's called. And if you look in there, you're going to get, this is really cool. It's the favorite part. You're going to get a little car like this. Okay? It's a mix between a Bentley and a Volkswagen Beetle. I'm not sure. But it's got really nice 20-inch rims. That's what I'll tell you. So... Um, and so, kids, get this, and I'll, I'll kind of explain what's going on here. So Jesus had prepared the disciples, and he held them in place. He said, meet me here. Once he resurrected, he commanded them. He filled them with the Spirit, and they were propelled to move, to go. I don't know if you heard that. I can't let it go yet because I don't have another one. But likewise, we have the hope. We have been given the Holy Spirit of God as Christians. And we are now propelled to move by the Holy Spirit. I really thought it was going to go that way. <laughs> oh, well. So, church, if this is all true, what we've just gone through, what, we, what we've looked at at God's command, why is it so hard for us to be obedient why is it so hard for us to go? And why do we act like the making of disciples is someone else's responsibility? I, um, I was born in a Christian home. Um, had, had the blessing of being born in a Christian home um, at around age eight. I mean, I grew up in the church. Uh, my dad was an, an organist and a preacher and a deacon and all the things. Um, it was a small church. And... Around age nine, we had moved to another church where he was not the pastor anymore. Um, but one day, I felt the stirring of God calling me to, to, to uh, give my life to place my faith in him. And so I went to the front, I prayed, and short thereafter, I was baptized. But within a year or two, we moved from Mexico here to Nacogdoches. And that was a difficult, difficult move. Um, we started attending... Uh, the Hispanic Church here on Fredonia Street. You, some of you know exactly what that is. Iglesia Bautista Independiente. And we were there for a couple of years, but dad began to notice that we were sort of not finding our identity. That we were um, just struggling because our new language was now English. And not only that, one of my sisters, she's deaf, so we wanted to find a way for her to, to see the word and to understand the gospel. And so a friend of his says, hey, come to Fredonia Hill. We have a great uh, ministry that, um, where they interpret. They have a deaf ministry, and, and she's interpreting what I'm saying right now. Yes, I am interpreting what you're saying right now. <laughs> I love it. But what a blessing that we have this ministry because we came here. Yes. So we came in, and somebody met us in the back. I don't think it was David Cooey. <laughs> and uh, we wanted to sit in the back, and they brought us all the way to the front. And, well, 
you know. And so we loved it here. Um, God began to do a great work. Um, many times he nudged me into ministry, and I, I just said, no, that's for somebody, you know, holier than me, somebody who's got it all together, somebody who's, who understands it all. And um, as I was trying to figure out my identity, um, I was also trying to figure out the language, figure out the culture, and um, go to college. And I began pursuing a career. And I said, I want to be an engineer, and I want to have lots of money, and so I can buy a Lamborghini, and I can have a huge house with like 20 bedrooms, a pool in the middle. Yeah, I'm just saying that makes me want to throw up. That's a lot to clean. <laughs> it's also very expensive. Can you imagine property taxes? <sighs> anyway. But I had this dream of what the life was supposed to look like, right? And I was after that. I was after the money. I was after the prestige. Anytime I, I got good grades on my exams or anything like that, I would say, man, I, I, I studied and I did really good. Not ever thanking God for the wisdom that he provides. Uh, and when I got my first big boy job, I was like, man, that paid off. And it does pay off. But who gives God? And I started hanging around with, with some of the crowds that were not really Christians. We're not pursuing Christ. And honestly, I wasn't either. I began to just uh, hang out with them, and they couldn't tell me apart from, from, a Christian, uh, from them. Like they, to them, I was not really proclaiming Christ either. But I, here's the problem. I thought I could do no wrong. God is with me. But God continued to nudge. He never, he's faithful. That is true. He did not let me go. He continued to nudge and ask. Now, you might say, and I want to put this in here, Pastor Caleb, there's nothing wrong with wanting a good career, with wanting a good life, with wanting a good job. There is nothing wrong with that. But if it takes priority over your relationship with God, guess what? It's wrong. If God comes second, we're just, we're just wrong. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek the kingdom Seek the, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And to be honest, I was not seeking the kingdom first. I had been saved. I was saved. Once saved, always saved. And yet, I was not filled with the Spirit. I was not doing the things that God was asking us to do. Um, but just like any kingdom built by man, everything started to crumble. I began to find myself... Uh, just trying to keep this kingdom alive, and, and I couldn't. As much as I tried, I could not, I could not. Uh, I began to fall into deep, deep sadness um, that I could not explain to the point where it made no sense that my family was in the next room enjoying uh, a meal, laughing, and I was in my room just completely and utterly destroyed. And I even began to have thoughts of, why am I even here? And so I turned to God, and I said, I'm, I'm done. I said, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I've been doing this for years, and obviously it's not working, so I surrender to you, Lord. Now, I was saved. Don't, don't forget that. And I went to church regularly, um, but, and, and many times I was going through the motions. But I wasn't truly living for God. I wasn't filled with the Spirit or aiming to live my life in a way that pleased God. But once I began to seek the kingdom of God first, 
the other pieces began to be added. Um, I quit my job, started the Armor Bearer program here. Yes, I am a byproduct of the Armor Bearer program. Shout out to the Armor Bearer program. <laughs> and uh, uh, I didn't have a job. So I went from having a big boy job to nothing, but God provided a job. Um, I remember uh, I started dating my now wife. See, he provided the pretty girl. And I, I remember just being amazed because I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but somehow she made me do a budget, y'all. And <laughs> it was a zero-based budget. Some of you know what that is. Everything has a purpose. But at the end, I always had money left. And she would say, I don't understand that. You should be in the negative $40 and you have 40 in your pocket. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how else to explain that. But God provided in every, every single way. Um, and I answered his call to ministry, and so here I am today. And throughout all these years, the Lord has helped me to understand that the issue why so many of us Christians sometimes grow complacent, inactive, perhaps even at times fearful, is really an issue of worship. Um, and when I say worship, I don't mean the songs. I mean our connection to God our one-on-one -on -one connection to God. In base terms, worship is the response of the creation to its creator. And in our case, in our biblical sense, it's a response to God for who he is and, he who, and who he has revealed, revealed himself to be. So if God is love, we ought to love. If God is good, we must be good. If God is for the nations, so should we be for the nations. But because we're in the flesh, we tend to fall to the worship of self. When we worship ourselves, we want to be comfortable. We want to seek after things that make us happy, regardless of how anyone else feels. We try to do things that God, uh, we don't try to do the things that God asks us to do, and we don't place a high level of importance in our walk with Christ, our personal walk with Christ. Now you might say, Brother Caleb, I don't worship myself. What are you talking about? I'm here every Sunday, I serve, I give. But let me tell you, we all worship something if it's not God. We, we're going to worship something. So it better be God, right? And the thing is, Satan has set up the world so that you will want to worship yourself. I mean, just look around. I'm going to say these phrases and you tell me if you've heard it before. If it feels good, it must be right. Do whatever makes you happy. Always look out for number one. And who's usually number one? See, this is the reason that Adam and Eve sinned is because they did not believe the words of God and sought to be like God. Anything that removes our eyes from being fixed on Christ is an idol. And that is why it's hard for us to go. That is why it's hard for us to obey. So long as we are in this life, we will fight between spirit and flesh and this is why Paul reminds us to be filled with the Spirit. It is only by complete surrender that we will be led by the Holy Spirit and do as our Lord commands. So it doesn't matter how young you are in the faith or how old you are in the faith. If you have breath in your lungs, God has a task for you. And the work should continue until Christ returns or he calls us home. Amen. Church, we are plan A. You and me, we are plan A. <laughs> We're plan A. God in his infinite wisdom says, 
you are the plant. We are it. We are the ones who ought to spread the gospel. We are the ones who ought to declare the good news of he who has sent us. I feel like sometimes uh, we, we have a hard time remembering our fears and we say, well, the disciples were with Jesus and, you know, they, they were with Jesus. They, they have extra power. We, we look at them as superhumans, but they're not. They're men like you and me. On uh, John verse 20, Thomas answers him when he sees Jesus after he's been resurrected, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We must seek God for help. As the band comes up, um, I just want to, if, if you're here today, if this is your first time here or you've been coming and you've never heard the gospel, you never heard the good news of Christ, I want to share that real quick. You see, God created the heavens and the earth. He created it all good. He created man and woman. He created them good. But sin came in the world and corrupted everything. And caused a separation, a void between God and man. That close relationship was no longer close. But God still was there for his people. He was still faithful. Taught his people how to offer sacrifices for their sins. But this was always a temporary thing. Until one day, Jesus, born of a virgin, came to live a sinless life. Those he came for to save rejected him. He was nailed to a cross and died for all of our sin. But three days later, he resurrected, defeating death, and ascended to the right hand of the Father and reigns forever. He was found worthy. And if you believe in his name, and you place your faith in his sacrifice, you too will be saved. Romans 5 says, Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Will you believe that today? I'm going to ask prayer partners to, um, to get to their places. Uh, and I believe Nathan is going to be in the balcony for, for our balcony folks. Christian, brother, sister. Um, I don't know where this hits you today. We'll let the Spirit deal with each one of us accordingly. But you might be wondering what to do now. Perhaps you feel convicted, don't know where to start. Perhaps you're here today just wondering what is the next step. The best place to start is prayer. Now, um, as we have begun to do, we, we, wanna, we have our prayer partners in the back that are more than happy to pray with you, but also we want you to pray amongst each other. We want you to pray for the people that you're discipling, that you're walking life with. Um, 
it is a great thing to see the people of God praying for each other. So why don't we stand and we'll begin to pray. Let's pray together. God, we, we are in awe of what you're doing, Lord. God, there is no way to explain the mighty works of your hand, but we can see them. We acknowledge them. God, and, and, and we're just thrilled to be a part of, of what you're doing. God, we recognize that sometimes we, we fail. Sometimes we don't obey. But God, you continue to be rich in mercy. And you call us to be obedient. You call us to go. And I pray that we would do that. That we would obey as you are our king. As you are worthy. And even better than that, you are with us. You're with us every step. And every thought. I pray that if anyone here has never heard of your your grace, that they would, Lord, be listening. May your Holy Spirit dwell in us accordingly. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.